Welcome back to another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 141. I'm your host, Adi Greenfield, as a drum third. Tonight's son's right, Buddy Thornton, Patricia Settler, and Dr. Larry Davis. Patricia Settler, please say again hello to the people. Hello, everybody. I am honored to be here. My name is Patricia Cerqueira Seidler, and I cannot wait for what unfolds tonight. Thank you. It's going to be on. And, buddy, throw the possible changes, but please say hello again to the people. Good evening, everybody, and again, uh, welcome to my esteemed panel mates. It should be an exciting night. And the one and only Larry, Doctor Larry Davis. Please say hello to the people. Spotify. Good evening, and I'm so happy to be here. Every time I think I know where the lines are, I get on the call with you guys and find out that Buddy has redefined and redrawn the lines. So I'm looking forward to find out what these lines are tonight. Oh, it's gonna be exciting. Excited. Listen, tonight I'm feeling that there's going to be so much emotional support uh, that's going to come out uh, for those listening audiences to to take grab hold of tightly and give, take it back to their nest, take it back to their classrooms, take it back to their um, settings. But tonight's topic is applying racial equity for the severe behaved students. Classroom management is so much more than a set of appropriate rules and consequences. Motivation is necessary. So is instructional planning, parent engagement, teacher efficacy, and most important, consistency of those classroom management skills that we need to have those high expectations, right? That are, I would say, irrevocably intertwined. Educators, educational leaders, educational administrators, and parents, okay, have been hard pressed to make clear instructions and flexible opportunities both in the physical space, now in the hybrid space, along with the digital space and climate that fosters and values that are needed to have that respect and that, de that decency for teachers and students is so necessary for the success of every student and staff member. And that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. We're gonna to be talking about how can we strive? How should school boards strive? How should governmental officials strive to uh, make policies and practices that are sustainable and that are even across the board to help students meet the demand of the 21st century, to help students meet the demands of our testing, the demands of those course standards in academic and career technical classrooms, 
So, teachers have a great, a great amount of responsibility that's been placed on their shoulders. Each teacher must establish and maintain a learning environment that supports and motivates students to do their personal best job. Teachers and principals can use skills to set strategies to create focused and productive classroom management skills, and you name it, but without policies, without practices that promote effective settings, that promote effective practices, you're asking educators to make break without strong. Listen, I want to go first to uh, Dr. Larry Davis. Dr. Larry Davis, when you first heard this topic tonight, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Wow, I would, I would have to tell you that uh, I prepared a statement for my answer that says what I'm about to say does not reflect the views of the host or the panelists on the show because I know there are some strong opinions about what we're about to talk about. So, I just want to let you know, when I start speaking, I'm going to make that comment because I feel strongly about some of the policies and things and the way we do business today in education. So that's, that was my thought, Jeff. Thank you for that, sir. And I want to ask next, buddy, what was your thoughts when you, when you heard about this topic tonight? I'm going to mirror what Larry just said because, you know, I have to flip between two different hats. Sometimes I have to mediate, and sometimes I have to coach. And lately I have spent a little bit of time mediating between coaches, you know, uh, parents and teachers, and that mediation has been rather contentious. And you realize as a mediator you have to be a neutral third party, and <laughs> I'm sure Larry can probably identify with this. You can't really wear your neutrality on your sleeve. You really wear your heart on your sleeves. So maintaining neutrality and then walking out of the room and then all of a sudden it kind of hits you in the back of the head. It's like, wow, now I've got to take everything that I just absorbed from both sides of this equation and I have to turn that into something that I can actually use as a positive social change agent and, and make sense out of it because... You know, both sides had arguments and both sides, you know, we, we came to some type of a durable agreement in the mediation, but, and that's confidential how it ended, but at the end of the day, this is a conversation that's happening across the country, and that's, that's what I approach tonight's conversation. Oh, wow. You know, absolutely, because tonight's conversation, as, as panelists and as leaders, we cannot afford to talk about this topic while wearing our emotions on our sleeves. And that's why we, we chose uh, these, these panelists tonight because this is a real world scenario. That's why I want to ask uh, Patricia Seller, what, and thank you again for coming back. What was the first thought that came to your mind when you got this topic tonight? Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. You know, the first thought that came to my mind was this idea that um, now is the time for us to have rehumanizing settings, which means that if we really want racial equity to be and to exist in action, we need to have rehumanizing policies. 
right? And so that was the first piece that came to me. And as I heard you speak in, in, in your introduction, um, this beautiful idea of what motivates students to do their personal best really requires um, policies that allow for community building as opposed to classroom management. So that's where, where I'm at. Oh, wow. That was simply amazing. Don't go anywhere because I want to ask you a question. Uh, but before I do, uh, you know, in my first statement that I addressed, I, I, I made mention of, you know, teaching uh, and instructing our students in the physical space, in the digital space, and in the hyperspace, right? But I didn't mention that we as educators, we as leaders, right, um, have to, you know, talk about restitution, right? We have to talk about restitution in order to get to arbitration, right? And in order to get to arbitration and restitution, we have to talk about mediation, right? And we have to talk about these three things in order to receive some type of, or, or to conduct some type of negotiation, right? To change these these policies, to change these uh, procedures. And, and I believe that's going to give us that reconciliation, right? Uh, because now we have entered into a time where this is, uh, if, if we're talking from a uh, national standpoint, um, United States. You know, this is a time that we all need to be on hands, all hands on deck. And because, you know, we as a, a, a nation are now in a competitive market uh, in the global society of education, in the global society of career fields, right? So now this is not about uh, the North versus the South anymore. This is not about uh, different ethnic groups anymore. This is all about, you know, us as a nation. As a, as a nation of immigrants, right? And so, and so with that in mind, what policies must be aligned with racial equity standards to, I would say, produce or, or create or develop the best instructional plans that will help us facilitate those lesson plans that they want. Uh, they want time. They want them time, and they want time from a bill-to-bill um, teaching schedule in the classrooms, right? But but they want this when we have students that have emotional needs. They have emotional needs. They have psychological needs. They have different services that can be seen as, um, their behaviors can be seen as very disruptive to making that um, instructional plan successful from bill to bill. We want you to, I would say, draw a picture, draw an illustration of how you see that image in your mind. Yeah, so powerful question there. You know, I, as I think about it, um, the policies that we must align right now really um, are the policies of time and the hierarchies of power, right? So who gets to make the policy right now and 
what is the time frame that is allowed for that? And the reason I say that is because we are in an absolute state of um, grind that comes from top-down policies, um, whether it be our curriculum, our instructional plans. We have, you know, we have a go, 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 whether it be between um, one bell for transition to another class, to another bell. Um, students need to go from point A to point B in X amount of time. What the time going by so fast um, creates is this disconnection uh, from what is needed in order to have instructional plans that we can facilitate. And what we need is time to connect, right? We need time to know our students fiercely, not just what their interests are, but how they find purpose and connection in their lives, right? We need time to be able to be curious about the behaviors and what is needed underneath the behaviors, right? To ask what is needed. How might I serve? the student, right? And we need time to co-create and create new things. So we need, in instructional plans, we need the ability to not only teach what we're going to teach, but have students take what we teach and then create something new. Because as I see it is, that is the purpose of us being here, is creating things anew. And in order to have redemption, in order to have um, restitution and uh, a sense of, um, you know, behaviors happen and then what can we learn from them, we also need time. Right? And when we learn what is needed, we then need to be able to have resources and policy, like power of policy to say, okay, what is needed is actually we need more counselors. Or we might need more time for students to be in creation, in, in classes of movement, or in classes that bring joy in a way that we don't have built into our systems right now. That was five years. Uh, Patricia, please don't go anywhere. Please don't go anywhere because I'm, I'm answering a question. But before I do, I, I want to ask Dr. Larry Davis what he thought about this because Dr. Larry, uh, Larry Davis uh, is an educational leader and he is also an a, um, educational administrator. So based off of what you just heard and we just heard Dr. Larry Davis, what are your thoughts about what you just heard Patricia say? I think I'm gonna speak for everybody here. When you, when you hear someone speak with passion, right? And that's exactly what she was speaking with. She's speaking from a place of, this is something she's experienced. This is something she's been a part of. This is something she's witnessed, not something she's heard of. You can't help but, you know, have that little string in your heart being tugged on because this person is speaking to you from something they truly believe in. And I always tell you this, when I hire teachers, when I hire anybody, the first thing I want is, do you have a purpose and passion for it, and do you love children? This person, uh, Patricia, I can tell that right away. She has a passion for what she does, and she loves children. Incredible. I, and I, I couldn't comment on that. I needed someone that was seasoned uh, to comment on that. There, there were so many layers um, to what she said in a 360 bi-directional type of way. And for that for that purpose, let me, I want to pull uh, on Buddy Thornton, but before I do, Patricia Seller, thank you so, so much once again for the wealth and, and the robust knowledge that you bring uh, to this podcast and, and to the world. Uh, thank you, Dr. Larry Davis, as well. 
And so what are you doing? Thank you so much. Changes in pro. Absolutely. Uh, one. And thank you, Dr. David. And so, yes, that was wonderful. What are you doing possible changes pro? Why, in your opinion, why are educators less motivated? Okay, post COVID nineteen. Why are they less motivated to sustain classroom organization, classroom arrangements, classroom co creation? Those elements are necessary to 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 spur productivity, creativity, right? And from your insight, from your experience as a highly effective pro social change agent, what are some ways that they can start resetting. And when I say reset, uh, is, is the reset, does it, can it be a general reset? Can it be a, a gentle restoration? Or, or is it gonna be a, a hard reset? Well, they need to have a hard reset to start gaining motivation and start back identifying those goals, that they previously had before COVID-19? That's my question for you. And, and take your time. I believe that what we have to really do is we have to separate that into layers. The top layer, the highest top layer policymakers are buying into the hype that we've discussed before about the storm all around us and that everybody's trapped in this storm and everybody's way behind. And so they're leaning really hard on, we have to stay with the program and we have to really be hardline and we have to do everything we can to get these kids caught back up. And they're not seeing a vision from what the boots on the ground are seeing. And educators who are boots on the ground and who are putting their hands on the educational sphere in front of them every day, the reality is yes, the storm is all around us, but we can, we can steal, steal the storm in front of us by understanding that we cannot change the past. Educators are getting pummeled. They're being told by people far, far above them who are not in their realm of reality you have to do everything you can to keep these kids caught up. And the kids are saying, that's an impossible task. We're, we're never going to get caught up. Give us realistic goals. Give us a way to do something right now that is going to benefit us right now, and we'll do it. Kids want to succeed, but the teachers are caught in the middle. And you want to talk about pulling the air out of the balloon, tell an educator who is working their tail off that they're not meeting a standard that's impossible to meet because the standard is outdated. The mode of education is at least two to three years behind times. There is now a hybrid system that could be used, could be in play. There are new modalities that need to be implemented that the high-end policymakers are saying, 
We don't have time for that. We've got to get caught up first. We'll implement things as we go, but let's get caught up. Let's get caught up. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And the educators who are not 150% in line with the passionate pursuit of loving children are falling by the wayside in droves. I know a lot of educators and they love children, but you can only beat them up so much and the weaker ones are gonna fall to the wayside. The stronger ones are gonna endure but they're gonna have to endure with incredible scars on their psyche. And those scars are gonna show through to these kids and it's just very, very difficult. And when you're talking about trying to reorganize and give them goals for when you're not even aware of what's happening in their classroom, and you're just reading into the hype of everybody's behind and we've gotta catch up, you know, there's no reason for us to be this far behind. That's, that's an that's a unreality. It's a total unreality. Yes, behind is behind. But throughout human history, every time there's been a catastrophe, everybody in that storm has had to endure the storm. And yet, 5, 10, 20 years later, everyone looks back and goes, oh, yeah, okay. But look where we are now. Look where we are now. And who got them there? Who got them there was the positive social change agents and the teachers, that's who got them there. And community leaders and parents are not saying that message. Educators need that type of psychological support. If you want educators to be motivated, it's gotta come from outside of the school system. You can do anything you want to motivate them inside. If they walk off campus and all they hear is, well, the teachers just can't do their job, we don't like the way the teachers are doing their job, they're gonna be demotivated. Now, I, I could ramp up on this for an hour, and I'm not going to do that because I respect the educators on this call, and I don't want to insult their integrity and their passion for loving kids. There is a way to do this. You have to understand that there is a power inside every teacher, and it is the discipline of knowing your best self. You can demonstrate and role model to these kids that you have the power to overcome the voice that's coming from outside. You can sustain your boundaries, and you can tell these kids, we're not gonna listen to what's happening outside. We're gonna create our own environment, I want to know what you need me to give you, and I'm going to give you everything I can. We're going to create clear lanes. You're going to understand that in this classroom, I'm the authority, but I'm going to listen to what you need, and I'm going to give it to you with everything in my soul. If you do that, these kids are going to help you create an environment, and classroom management becomes easy because the kids will see that you are on their side. And once you are, make them a teammate as opposed to a student, you make them part of your cadre, you make them part of your group, they're gonna support you because they see that you're getting beat up. These kids want to learn and they know you're the conduit that's gonna help them learn. And if they see their parents or they see the community leaders beating you up, you can turn them to your side by being steadfast, 
and not crumbling in front of them. Have the discipline to sustain your boundaries and not react, not overreact, not break down, not become insulting, not be, make any kind of comments that are gonna be read as negative and undermining the community around you. That's what's needed. These kids need to see you as the best positive role model in front of them because at the end of the day, two, three, four years from now, they only have two things they can look at. What their parents did and what their teachers did. That's all they have to grasp onto. Wow, wow, wow. You know, we have to close the attitude gap, but how do we do it? Because now the level of at-risk students is not decreasing. It's, it's so saturated now. You know, but I want to thank you for your response. And I, I try to set you up, but you, you can't you can't find out that corner of <laughs> the posture like you always do. You know, you, you talked about boots on the ground. And, and for me, that means so, so much uh, coming from a, a, you know, a military background, right? But then you, I thought it was tied into locus of control. Right, and, and that locus of control uh, is needed, is necessary for a balance, right? A balance of what? Of, of stopping the disconnect. There is a disconnect in education. There is a disconnect in the interplay. And you heard me talk about music before in bands. You know, when, when we are playing in a band and we're doing a jam, right, and we're doing a jam session and then there's this improv, right, you know, this is a conversation, just like we have tonight. And in this conversation, maybe the drums may do a solo for four bars, eight bars, right, and then they, then they come out for their solo and then maybe the guitarist or whatever, or the bass player, the bassist, uh, the piano, saxophone, trumpet, uh, trombone. Right, and, and everyone is complimenting uh, one another like we're doing tonight, right? And this is, we call it keeping it in the pocket, right? And so, you know, education has a pocket. Uh, education has a pocket, and everyone is responsible that's playing this, this song to keep it in the pocket. Now, and I, what I mean, keep it in the pocket, I'm not saying necessarily staying in their lane, but. But when you keep it in the pocket, you know, there's structure. And, and we gotta have policies, right, uh, that are used, that are implemented to, to keep educators, to keep uh, paraprofessionals, to keep support staff, you know, family members, family involvement, uh, positive social change agents, you name it, to keep them in the pocket. And, you know, with that being said, let me let me go back to Patricia. Thank you so much, Buddy Dorn, again, uh, for, for the rich, rich uh, expertise that you give to the podcast uh, and, and to uh, Positive Social Exchange. Uh, Patricia, thank you again. Um, I, I cannot tell you how grateful we are uh, to have you in on this discussion. What you got going on, Karen? What are you doing? What you got going on? 
Thank you. Um, so, you know, in, in listening to Buddy Thornton, I was thinking about this idea that educators really see every day what's happening at the ground level, right? They're at the pulse. Um, as Mr. Thornton said, and, and I think that the key piece is how do we, um, as policymakers that we are, right, building the communities that we do in our classroom, understanding that the most powerful control ever is the one that comes from within, right, authentic power. And so how do we, at the classroom level, at the school building level, at the district level, at the state level, start seeing ourselves as the policymakers that we are first? But second, how do we make sure that the power hierarchies are dismantled to where it's circular and it's no longer just linear? Here's your policy, um, like Mr. Thornton said, from a, coming from a very uh, faraway place, often very well-intentioned. But by the time it hits the ground, teachers are implementing policies that are highly misaligned with the needs of their students, right? And that misalignment to me is what our students are the most at risk of, of receiving that which they don't need because what is needed that teachers often know what is needed, right? Families absolutely know what is needed. Students absolutely need know what is needed. There isn't an avenue back up to say this is what we need and, you know, how can we get the resources to get it to our communities that we serve? So that's kind of where I, I went with um, what Mr. Thornton so um, beautifully put out there. So thank you. You know, you guys are so passionate uh, about education and, and about making sure that we provide enough resources for the next generation. Uh, we are doorkeepers. We are those people that are, are making sure that there's light on the journey so that humanity can continue to thrive and, and on this planet. And, you know, I'm so grateful to be a part. I'm so, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be a part of this discussion tonight. Let me go to Dr. Larry Davis. Dr. Larry Davis, there's been a lot said tonight. Right. And in a perfect world, you know, making these changes would be easy. But I believe that governmental officials need to know what needs to be changed. Those government officials need to be made aware, right, of what policies that need to be upgraded and what policies need to be thrown away. What policies need to be amended? What policies need to be ratified? And what policies need to be totally demolished? How, as a administrator and educational leader, how would you communicate? How would you communicate that to those government officials 
if you had the opportunity to get come in a room and help them decide where the next you know 20 to 35 billion dollars was going to be spent you know what areas would you choose to help better develop students across the board to help better communicate and implement classroom motivation and management plans uh, across the board. I, I believe they would, they would listen. What, what's your thoughts? You know, I'm, I'm from the South and the, the older people used to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But I'm going to, I'm going to say something anyway. <laughs> so if you had asked me this question when I first became an educator, Dr. Drone, I probably would have tried to list uh, policies that need to be sustained, changed, even added. But here we are 20 plus years later, and my response is simply this. What can't we change? Why are we still married to this ineffective education system? Think about this. We've, in, the, in the 80s, we had a nation at risk that said, for the first time, students were graduating high school with less knowledge and less information than their parents who graduated before them. The problem with that statement was, at this time, there was no measurement system to prove that fact, but they made it anyway. And then we had no child left behind, and currently we're under Every Student Succeeds Act. When you say those things out loud, it sounds great. I mean, it sounds incredible. The reality is our education system is due a major overhaul, right? We currently celebrate the top 10%. We seek funding for the bottom 20%. What about the middle 70%? Think about that. And why do we have a ranking system at all? Think about it. If student success is our ultimate goal, why are we ranking their success? The other thing that we really need to think about is we use this word standardized in education. We use it for our testing. We use it for our curriculum. However, both cannot be further from the truth. We do not have standardized children. They don't come from standardized backgrounds, and they don't have standardized needs. So we need to get rid of this notion of standardized education. Now, here's my disclaimer. What I'm about to say does not reflect the views of the panelists or the hosts of this show. I truly believe, I honestly believe, standardized education is just another version of separate but equal. But here's the only difference, right? Separate but equal said, we're gonna give you an equal education but in a separate at a separate location, and that didn't work. Standardized education said, we're gonna give the same education for everybody in the same building. However, we instituted attendance zones. And these zones separate our kids socially, social, by social economic status. So there we go, there's a divide again. Now also, we continue to fund our schools the way we funded them in the past. And why do we do that? We shouldn't fund schools based on attendance, right? We need to fund our schools based on the population that attends the school. Think about this, if there's two schools who have the same enrollment, and yet they have both have a 95% attendance rate, the school with the higher need population should receive more funds. If I'm not mistaken, we call that equity. Now, you know, here in Texas, we also use our uh, community tax dollars, right, to help fund, fund our schools. 
But if we use a tax percent of 3%, a tax rate of 3%, if we look at a low, social, a low income area where the average property value is $100,000, 3% is $3,000. That's all those homes on average are contributing to the school. Look at that same percent, 3%, in a affluent area here in Texas where homes are around half a million. The average home is co contributing $15,000 per household to that district. Now, at $15,000, you can take 10 homes and you can add additional three, three teachers, an, an assistant principal and a counselor, or you can furnish all types of school programs for students. But at $3,000, 10 homes is only contributing $30,000, and that's barely enough to have a paraprofessional or a non-teaching non position, right? Our system, our policies, our procedures, our practices, I think, look at it like this. There are things, it's a brand new car. There are classic cars, there are antique cars, and there are old cars. We are an old car. So what needs to be changed? I think everything. Wow, listen, we we out of time. Tonight we heard so many strategies. We heard so many, oh my God, developments, whether it was cognitive development, whether it was physical development, physical space settings, whether it was social interaction, social development, and emotional developments. Uh, listen, the panel is open. What are the takeaways for tonight? Let's let, who wants to go first? Who wants to go first? Ladies first. Uh, thank you. Wow, Dr. Davis, thank you so much for that. My goodness. I am just how much all of that is so true and then this idea that it is possible we have to absolutely make it possible and I, I felt that in every word that you said and I thank you for your work and for believing in it and for doing this work so thank you I'm so inspired thank you Patricia will you oh, thank you Patricia will you come back for another conversation on the podcast Absolutely, I feel honored. Thank you so much. Incredible. Who's next? We're going to let uh, Dr. Larry be last because he really knows how to take the road home, and we know we want to give him every chance. Um, I've written several articles about the need to fund schools from the bottom up, and I've been laughed at by local senators and you know representatives here in Arizona uh, people are married to the idea that their money needs to stay in their district and they need their kids to get the education based on their hard work and their tax base and this and that and what they don't understand is that they're basically doing exactly what Larry said they're creating a separate but equal system and they're hiding it behind a old archaic and denounceable system that creates a social welfare state on purpose. What they're doing is they're forcing 50 to 60% of the students 
to be in a situation where they're going to become a social burden of some type on a system. And then their children, 20, 30 years from now, are going to sit back and say, wow, I'm having to pay for this and that. I, my money is going to pay for taking care of this and taking care of that. And what they don't understand is that the, the things that they're doing in the education system and the inequities that they're creating through their funding mechanisms are perpetuating a system of inequity throughout society. They're forcing an imbalance in the economic system by creating an entire class of people who have no ability to perform because they're not getting the educational structure in their favor. And we need to address it from the bottom up. We can no longer look at it from the top down. And the, the statistics don't lie. Larry was correct. The top 10% don't need our help. As a matter of fact, the teachers could let the top 10% pretty much sit in the classroom all year long and they're going to succeed. They're going to be superstars. The bottom 20% get a lot of help and they got get a lot of scaffolding and they get a lot of things. The 70% in the middle kind of just drift. And that's in every state. That's across the nation. And it, it's time that we address this from the idea that we can end it. But we have to wake some people up and to, until people understand that the people who are in the classroom and the people who are just above them, people like Larry, who are administrators, who understand that that's exactly what's happening on every campus because of funding and because of the lack of structure, proper structure in the funding mechanism, we can't change it until it gets addressed at that level. And we need to, we, I don't know how to force it to be changed, but we have to make enough noise until people take notice instead of just laughing at it and saying, no, I'm not going to let my child lose out on anything to let another child have something. Because every child deserves equity. Every child deserves a chance at what their child has. That selfishness is not a social benefit. And that's what is hurting society. Again, wonderful. Dr. Larry Davis, please take us home, because I'm... Mm. I, I'm just going to say, this is, this is incredible. You have, you have Patricia, and she's talking... And she's talking in this in this voice where she's saying, I don't want to yell, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to feel what I'm saying. And then you have Buddy who's saying he's popping with so much passion, he's going, I want you to feel what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, and this is what we need to do about education. I had this thought today, uh, the seven wonders of the world. I think education has the eighth wonder of the world, and it's called the achievement gap. And the achievement gap is the equivalent of the Grand Canyon. Everybody goes to visit it, everybody talks about it, everybody discusses it, everybody knows it's there. The only difference is they can't change the, the Grand Canyon. They could change the achievement gap, but they won't do anything about either. Follow us. Follow us. Listen, this was another impactful night of the impact of education leadership.
Facebook.